I'm glad we can sing that wholeheartedly, uh, no matter where we find ourselves this morning. And um, the, the truth of, of Christ, the reality of the resurrection that we even celebrated last week, it continues on to today. And, and one of the ways we're kind of signifying that, you might notice as you look around the room, it's still decorated as it was for Easter Sunday. And there's a reason for that. Uh, we're going to have this kind of setup up here just to remind us that these are the days uh, between now and, and Ascension Sunday, which is the, the middle of next month. Um, these are the days that Jesus was appearing to people. Uh, we've been in the book of 1 Corinthians for some time now, and we were in chapter 15 not long ago. And we find that Jesus appeared uh, to, to various people at various places at various times, even you know, up to 500 people at once. And so this is that time. This is that season. So um, as you look and see those different, uh, you know, the banners or, or the, the cloth on the cross, let's be reminded of that. This, this is that time. And, uh, and we can rejoice that that happened in time and space and in history. Uh, it's a reality. And so uh, even as we sing, it is well with our souls. That's, that's why. That's how we know that for a fact. Because he really is risen. Uh, other things have been happening, though, since uh, last Sunday. And we're uh, also excited to be able to to celebrate that in, in that we've been uh, partnering with Hope 680 uh, to make lunches uh, for, for the homeless in our area. And so this past Friday night, we had a bunch of people downstairs and we were making sandwiches and packing lunches up. And uh, it was, it was a, a wonderful time of, you know, seeing families getting together, kiddos coming in and, and helping out. And, uh, and so we're, we're thrilled to see what God is doing in that. And so yesterday, uh, those lunches that we made were delivered uh, to, to, again, people in our area. Um, right now, as, as if you were with us a few weeks ago, um, we had uh, Toby here, who's the head of Hope 680, and he talked about the fr- various places they would go to. Essentially, if you find a freeway overpass, that's where they do a lot of their ministry. Um, under there. And so uh, what I'd like to do right now, let's pray. Let's pray now that these lunches, the hands that they touched, the message of grace that was brought to them, that God would be even at work in their lives now. So let's pray. Uh, Lord, we want to give you thanks for the joy it is to be a part of what you're doing uh, in our community. And we would ask that by your grace, even now, um, with the, the 80 plus lunches that were distributed uh, yesterday, that uh, you would be glorified in the conversations uh, that were had with, with each person, each family, each, each heart. You, you know where they're at. You know how they came to be in this place of deep trial and, and oftentimes uh, this, the overwhelming nature of, of their life. Uh, many times there's addictions involved. Many times there's other parts of their life that they were um, just very, very much hit hard and, and knocked off course. And so we would pray that in this time now that your spirit would be at work to bring to mind the, the truths of the gospel that were shared, even as the food sustains them and, and, and they would turn to you the bread of life to, to know you through Jesus. And so uh, we, we pray that you'd be at work in this now. We want to thank you for the opportunity to join you and what you're doing in our area to demonstrate physical grace and help people and to bring spiritual truth to them. And we pray that you do mighty things, that many would be born again as a result of these efforts. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we're, we're continuing today with our series in 1 Corinthians. And actually, this is, this is the conclusion of it. Here we're coming to a close. I don't know about you. I feel a little bittersweet about it. I'm like, wow. Um, because God's taught me a lot. I've learned a lot. Through this time, um, I feel like uh, God stretched us as a church through this. And, and, and what we find here is, is throughout these pages, Paul has been repeatedly uh, bringing forward uh, realities about what, what makes a, 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 you know, actual genuine walk with the Lord. What is genuine walking with Jesus? And, and so the Corinthian church had a lot of false criteria for true spirituality. And Paul was going after that. Constantly, But when you look at something, you want it to be genuine. You know, in different areas of life, there's, there's real reasons for that. Because when, when something is actually genuine, it's valuable. There's someone that I was having some interaction with someone this week. Um, believe it or not, I, I wasn't seeking the interaction on this, by the way. But it was about dolls. Uh, I know. No, I am not looking for dolls. Don't talk to me about dolls. Don't bring me your dolls. No, I'm not talking about But this person and I were interacting because they happened to collect that. 
And do you realize that there are dolls that are like worth serious money? If they're genuine, if they're real. So if you have, I didn't even know what this was, a Tony doll? Are you familiar with that? Yeah, me neither, but they're old. Okay, they're from, and so if you have one from like 1952, you know, 1952, and it's in the case still, like untouched by human hands. Okay, some people are going, yes. I'm like, I will pray for you. Okay, anyway, but yeah, so, but no, it's good. Um, but if it's in the case, if it's untouched by human hands, it's worth thousands of dollars. And, and again, to someone who doesn't know, we're kind of like, really? But to others, they're like, yes, you know, this is, this is it. I mean, for me, obviously, for, if you know me, you know, guitars are more, along the lines of what I would think of, right? So if you have a genuine, actual, real um, Martin, you know, made in 1945. Let's say it's, it's you know, a D45. That's kind of like the holy grail of Martins. Uh, and if it's in bad shape, all right? If it's worn down, not in good shape, it's worth a little over $100,000. If it's in good shape, you're looking at over $200,000. And you think, why? Why? You know why? Because it's real. It's genuine. And you can go into, the, you know, with Martin, they, they invented this thing called scallop bracings, essentially, and the wood is aged, right? When you have old wood, it dries out. You could have strings, dead doornails on there. You strum an E chord, it's going to ring. I mean, it's, it's beautiful. If you have one of those, contact me, okay? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I actually do want to know. I want to... I'll help you with that, okay? So anyway, yeah. But... Um, See, I shouldn't have said it because now I can't help you with it. It's beyond my ability to even, you know, um, but no. So, but when something's genuine, you know, it, it matters. It matters. Now, when it comes to our walk with the Lord, a genuine growth in the gospel, that's what Paul has been hammering this entire time in 1 Corinthians. What does that look like? What's that really, it, it's, it's real easy for people to sort of get up in the morning and kind of go through a, a spiritual routine of sorts. It's even relatively easy to show up in a church every Sunday and kind of go through the motions. Yeah, I'm here, and so I guess I'm fine because I'm here. But what does a genuine walk with the Lord actually look like? And then, of course, it's also easy for us to do many of the things addressed in, 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 in the book of 1 Corinthians. We can set up false criteria for true spirituality also. We can think, well, if you do this, then you're really spiritual. If you have these gifts, then you're really spiritual. If you look like this, then you're really spiritual. And we can add a a huge list of things and put them all together. When in reality, we would see here, you know, Paul's, Paul's saying, no, that's not it. And so as he brings this to a close, we, we find there's, there's a genuine nature to what it means to actually walk with Jesus and to have a growing relationship with him. And so we find that in the closing section here of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 10 through 24. And so I invite you to open to that. And if you want to use the Bibles there in front of you, it's on page 139. Page 139. Uh, It'll be toward the the back of the Bible. So go ahead and, and look there. And in honor of God's word, let's stand and go ahead and follow along as I read. First Corinthians 16, beginning with verse 10. Now, if Timothy comes, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid, for he's doing the Lord's work as I also am. So let no one despise him, but send him on his way in peace so that he may come to me, for I expect him with the brethren. But concerning Apollos, our brother, I encouraged him greatly to come to you with the brethren, and it was not at all his desire to come now, but he will come when he has opportunity. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits of Acacia, that they had devoted themselves for the ministry to the saints, that you also be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the work and labors. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunus and Acacius because they have supplied what was lacking on your part, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge such men. The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. All the brethren greet you. 
Greet one another with a holy kiss. The greeting is in my own hand, Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed, Maranatha. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that in this time, your spirit would take your word and uh, cause us to become different people. For those among us who perhaps find themselves weary and dry, we ask that your spirit would take what's in your word now to enliven our hearts towards you. For those who are discouraged amongst us, we would, we would pray, Lord, that you would bring the encouragement that comes from seeing you and knowing you and walking with you. For those confused, we pray for wisdom. We pray for clarity. Um, for those here who, who have not yet turned to you, Lord, we would pray that, that this would be the day that there would be a, a, a trusting in you, a believing in you, and, uh, and, and the reconciliation that comes with you through Jesus. Uh, Lord, for all of us, wherever we find ourselves, we thank you that you will meet us in this moment, and we would pray that, again, uh, we would see and, and know you in a deeper way. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and take your seats. So we're talking about genuine gospel growth, and, and we're going to see from these pages that, that genuine gospel growth grows as, as we walk in a certain way. You know, whenever the Bible describes our walk, it's talking about daily activity. This is how we live day in, day out. And so genuine gospel growth shows, firstly, when we walk with peaceful responses to correction. It's funny that Andrew brought up peace earlier, because you know what? I did not talk to Andrew about this at all. Um, and yet, peace with God translates into peace with others. The vertical transforms the horizontal. Always has. And, and so as, as Paul is talking about this idea of how do you respond to correction, we find that in verse 10 because he's describing Timothy coming. And of course, uh, Timothy is, is Paul's uh, protege, right? He's the one that Paul's raising up. Paul is handing the baton of ministry off to Timothy. And so uh, in, in light of what all that Corinth is dealing with and in light of the opposition that the Corinthian church has given to Paul. Could you imagine being Timothy in this moment? Like Paul's like, okay, this letter is going to Corinth. Uh, they are uh, egotistical. They are, uh, some are engaging in incest there. Uh, they're complaining. They're bitter. Uh, they are against me. They're favoring different leaders. And so I want you to go, Timothy. <laughs> hmm. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that'd be hard. It'd be, it'd be, that'd be challenging. And so Paul's sending him because he's doing the Lord's work. And so now he's, as he goes, as Timothy will be arriving, he's sending this ahead saying, hey, yes, I've just corrected you in a lot of areas. I've confronted you in several areas. And so as Timothy arrives as my representative, do not treat him poorly. Don't give him cause to, to, to kind of be afraid of, of you in some way. Don't try to intimidate him. Don't despise him. And notice in verse 11, instead, send him on his way in peace. Why? Because if you've been made right with God, if you have peace with him, you are going to deal with others in a, in a way of peace. Even if they confront you. Um, he wants Timothy to be encouraged, not intimidated. And so um, I, th I think we need to ask ourselves that question. You know, how do we respond when people correct us? And, and, uh, and sometimes I, I think, I'll just say for myself, I know for me, I, I, if in my least spiritual moments, if someone is coming to me, I'm uh, apt to say, well, you know what? I'm fine with correction from God, but you? <laughs> no, nah, I don't think so. You know, there can be that kind of, when we're confronted, we can be defensive. We can kind of like turn it back. Oh, you know, you know what your problem actually is? Okay, I know you think you're dealing with me. You know what your problem is? Come with me. This is a mirror. That's you. Why don't you two deal with that? I'm, I'm out of here. That can be our attitude very easily. And, and, and 
we find that in the, the Bible deals with us in this area in many places. Um, and, and one of those places, one of my favorite places actually, is Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1. And uh, here's what, what Proverbs 12, 1 says. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. And uh, I remember when the kids were little, if I'd read that, they'd be like, um, dad, the Bible said stupid. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you, you can't say that. What, the Bible is actually describing someone who's being foolish. You know, this is not just some sort of insult being levied at someone. No, in fact, this person who's, if you love discipline and knowledge, you want to grow. That's the idea. Discipline is, is, is a way of growth. It's a path of growth. And we're talking right now about growing in Christ, growing in gospel understanding and, and gospel living. And so if someone loves discipline, they love knowledge. But here's the contrast. He who hates reproof. Well, what, what is reproof? Reproof is essentially someone coming up to you and saying, you're wrong. That's reproof. And for, for many of us, we're not willing to hear that. I don't like someone telling me I'm wrong. I don't like that. Well, why? Because first of all, from my vantage point in the moment, you know what? The problem is, I'm right. You know, and then that's how we get in that self-defensive mode. Right? Your problem isn't with me. Your problem is with you. Um, your problem isn't with what I'm doing. Your problem is that you are wrong and you're accusing me of being wrong, right? There's, it's just sort of like we're, we become bulletproof by our own making. We have in our own minds this idea that, well, why would I think that if it wasn't true? Why would I do that if it wasn't the right thing? It's almost, it, it can be so kind of crazy arrogant. It's like, I would only do this if it was God's opinion as well that this was good. And then subtly it becomes Whatever my opinion is, it's God's opinion, really. And so we've got to dial that back and go, okay, hold on. I'm being corrected by someone. What do I need to do? Well, first of all, I don't want to violate this proverb. I don't want to hate being told I'm wrong. No, instead, I I want to stop and go, okay, I need to listen. Help me to listen, Lord. Um, Why? Because if you love discipline, you love knowledge. That's why. And it's not about you or you being right. And you don't want to live as a fool. And then as we grow in that, we come to find that when people confront us, oftentimes, not always, by the way, not always, but oftentimes, it's because they love us. I mean, who of us enjoys conflict? I don't think, I don't know of anybody who likes conflict. I mean, f- frankly, if someone really likes conflict, that's a whole other host of problems right there. Like, oh yeah, I can't wait. You know, really? Uh, okay. No, we don't. So it takes courage. You know, it does. It takes to approach someone and go, hey, we got to talk. So we need to receive that. And so that's, um, that's what Paul's telling the Corinthian church. I've corrected you. My protege is now coming to you, the one I'm handing the baton off to, the one I'm discipling to take my place. He's coming to you. Don't respond harshly towards him because I'm the one that corrected you. And really, even better yet, don't respond harshly to correction. Instead, respond in a peaceable way. And and, and at that point, there's growth. And that's a sign of genuine Christian living. That's a sign of actually walking with Jesus. When I'm corrected, I'm peaceful with other people. I want to hear it. I want to understand it. And I want to grow. I think, uh, I love how um, we're told in the, in the book of James, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. That's the principle. I want to be quick. The first thing I want to do is hear I want to be slow to speak to respond. And I especially want to be slow to anger. And if that's how we receive correction, if you will commit to doing that before the Lord, it's not easy. But if you, by the grace of God, will commit to that, you are going to grow. You will. And then you'll also be a blessing to others. There's another important application found in this portion of the close of 1 Corinthians 
is that we find that Paul has a guy named Timothy. Paul is, in fact, discipling Timothy. He, he, he is, in fact, about to hand the ministry over to Timothy. And, of course, that's just kind of obvious, but, but, but the question for all of us would be, are we doing that? Are, are, is there someone coming along? In what, however we're serving the Lord, I mean, well, the first question would be, are we using our spiritual gifts to serve God? We spent a lot of time on that several weeks back. Again, if you were not with us uh, during that time, I'd recommend you go to the website and just look up the spiritual gift messages. We spent five weeks on that. But the point is, if you're a believer, you've been given spiritual gifts by God, and you're called to use those. And, uh, I mean, again, if you, could you imagine that if you were given, um, you know, something of that nature and you weren't going to use it, it's just going to gather dust on the shelf? I mean, we, we don't want to live that way. And so one way we discover our spiritual gifts is by exploring, by going out there, by serving, by getting involved, uh, by, 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 you know, using our, what God's given us in order to serve him and serve others and to be a light in our community. So how are you serving? That's something to go back to. But then after that, with the serving you're doing, how are you training up the next generation? I mean, when Jesus calls us, you know, to, to, to live out this thing called the gospel, what does he say? He says, go and make disciples. You notice that? He doesn't say, go and fill up buildings with people sitting in chairs. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, go and put on, you know, excellent uh, events with, you know, massive amounts of, of you know, turnout and, 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 you know, pageantry and everything else. He doesn't say that. He says, go and make disciples. And, 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 and in essence, serve Minister to one another. Now, by the way, those things I just mentioned, they can be used to do that. There's nothing wrong with them. But we get caught up sometimes in thinking, that's right, I'm doing the work of the ministry, and so I've got to do this thing, whatever it is. And oftentimes we're not thinking of, wait, no, what I'm really called to do is, yes, serve in this way. Um, let's say you're hosting a Bible study in your home. Is that a good thing to do? Absolutely. That's a beautiful thing to do. But isn't it easy to kind of get caught up in the idea of, okay, well, if I'm doing a Bible study in my home, what that means is then I need to, uh, you know, have the house cleaned up and I've got to have the materials. Okay, someone's got to bring refreshments. Okay, we've got the study we're going through, da, 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 and I've done it. We've done this thing. Everyone goes home next week. And then you do it again the next week. Then the next week. And the next week. And pretty soon you're like, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> Because we're kind of caught up in just the apparatus of doing things when we've lost sight of the fact that what we're really doing is we are making disciples. Uh, several uh, months out of the previous year, if you were with us, we went through our values. We talked about that. Why do we do what we do? Maybe you'll recall what those things are. We, you know, we, we value life-giving truth. That, by the way, that's why we're in the Bible right now. This is life-giving truth. We want to live we value life-changing love. That's why we care for one another in the way that we do this. We, we value sincere community. That's why we're gathering together as God's people. We need sincere community. We value calling those far from God close to us. That's why we do things like Hope 680. Or, or later on, we'll have other outreach events throughout the year. That's why we're praying for our lost family and friends that are around us. That's why we're approaching each week. We go to work, and we're not just thinking, I just go to a cubicle and work. No, I'm in a cubicle around other cubicles. And there are people that God's deliberately placed here in my life so that I can be a light for them. So what happens is we get caught up in the little thing instead of seeing what we're actually called to do. And so however you're serving right now, this is a good question to ask. Are you making disciples? Who is your Timothy? Who are you passing this on to? You know, the, the, the reality is, is we haven't made a disciple until we've handed the baton off and this other person's coming along to carry out what we're called to do, what, what we're doing, whatever that ministry is. And, uh, and that's an exciting thing. You know, Jesus has a pattern of, of discipleship that he gives us. We see his example. It's pretty, it's pretty uh, beautiful and very, very simple. Uh, first thing is come and see. That's what he said. It's what he says to uh, the disciples there in, in, in John 1. 
let's, let's go. Come and see. Come and see who I am. And then from there, it's follow me. Follow me. Let's, let's walk along together. Uh, Jesus says, follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. You guys are fishermen. Well, I'm going to make you a new kind of fisherman. Uh, walk with me, essentially, is what he's saying. And in doing so, what did he do? That's literally what happened. The disciples, they, they walked throughout Jesus' earthly ministry next to him, with him. They saw him. They, sh- they saw what he did. He showed them. And then after that, it's go and do. And that's what we, we find, you know, in, in Luke 10. Jesus sends out the 70. And he says, you know, go, go and, and preach and teach. And again, the things you've seen me in me, the things that I've been doing, now you go do. Paul says the same thing to Timothy. He'll actually write in other places, emulate me as I imitate Christ. And so let's, let's consider how we can do that. How, who, who's your Timothy? Who are you handing the baton off to? And maybe you're going, I don't have one. I don't know who that is. Well, first thing to do would be to pray, Lord, show me who this person is. Bring him or her into my life. Help me to see them. And then have them do whatever this thing is. Do it with you. Have them do it next to you. Have them follow you as you serve. And then give them opportunities to do that. And then give constructive feedback as to how it went. How did it feel? What, what areas can we fine-tune? Where can he, the person, where can they be encouraged? Where, where can they be kind of brought to see, hey, there's another way to approach this? Um, and, by the way, as you're doing that, let's recognize from this passage also, there is a time and place to call on people to respect the younger person who's ministering in some way. That's not a bad thing. Um, to allow for grace and growth. So that's, that's a part of what we see here. Paul had a Timothy, and, and we want to also follow in that way and, and be training up and helping others to, to become who God's called them to be. Uh, we also would see here this, this word of, about Apollos, you know, even in, in, as a part of this whole thing of being gracious and, and being um, peaceable when receiving correction. Did not Paul already... Uh, confront them about Apollos? (laughs) Because some of them were saying, Apollos is the one, man. That guy can preach. Paul, eh. Peter, I don't know. Apollos, this is the guy, right? And everyone was kind of gravitating around their their special leader within the church. Again, not that that happens today at all, right? I'm of Piper. I'm of Keller. I'm of whoever, right? Um, It happens. But Paul confronted that. But notice now Paul is, Paul, even in confronting that, he's, he's saying, hey, I encouraged Apollos to come. I want him to come preach to you guys. I, there's, there's no sort of sense of ownership. There's no sense of rivalry there at all. They have a beautiful, peaceful relationship. It's possible, some have conjectured, that Apollos didn't want to come because he'd heard of their uh, attitude towards him and other leaders. He's like, I don't want to feed that. Forget it. I'm not going. That might have been the case. We don't know. That's sanctified speculation. But certainly we see in Paul's tone this open, peaceable way of saying, Apollos and I, he, you know, someone plants, someone waters, God causes the growth. We're all on the same team. And that is a much needed attitude and perspective, especially today. I mean, you know, Twitter is essentially a dumpster fire, is it not? It's almost like, you know, people go to Twitter now just to, hey, I wonder who's fighting today. I don't know. Let's find out. And as I've said many times before, hey, you don't warm yourself at a dumpster fire, okay? You just don't. Let's not have that attitude. So genuine gospel growth comes not only in peaceful responses to correction, but secondly, in bold love. And we find that in the next phrases here and then also a little later in the chapter. It actually comes up several times in this section, love. Um, you can see it. 
let all that you do in verse 14 be let all that you do be done in love there he is now he's already talked about love from really chapter 8 through chapter 14 love was throughout that section and then he especially honed in on that in chapter 13 he gave a massive description and you'll remember that was right in the middle of his discussion of spiritual gifts. You can almost see it as, here's all this discussion about spiritual gifts like this, but at the core, in the middle of it, he places chapter 13, love. And now he's re- reiterating that. And so you, you might look at this in the same way. 14 is the core, and then verse 13 kind of forms this other way of how that looks when love is, in fact, the center of all things. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. That's a couple. That's a little couplet there. When you're alert, you're going to stand firm. Uh, what are they to be watchful against? Well, everything. I mean, they, they, they were combating false teachers. They were combating elitism. They were combating people who said, um, you have to, you're more spiritual if you're unmarried. No, you're more spiritual if you are married. You're more spiritual if you eat this. You're more spiritual if you don't eat that. You're more spiritual if you use these particular gifts. You're more spiritual. I mean, it was all over the place. And so Paul is saying, be on the alert. Don't fall for all the deception that's out there that's assaulting you, which, by the way, has always been the case from the first century all the way through up to today. The truth is always under attack. Always. And it always will be. Because we have an enemy who does not want people to come to know Jesus. And if you are going to come to know Jesus, well, at least may you walk with him in some hobbled way, distracted way. So we have an enemy. So notice he says, stand firm in the faith. That's key. Uh, In Greek, when you have a definite article like that, it's identifying a particular thing. It's not just a faith. It's not just saying, you know, hey, have faith, believe. No, it's the faith. This is the, uh, the body of truth that is encapsulated within the gospel. It's the truth about Jesus. Uh, Other places in the New Testament would refer to it as the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And he's saying, be on the alert because attacks are coming, as they always have and they always will. What do we have to stand firm against today? Well, how about the just allure of cultural comfort? We got to stand firm against that. Or or, or even sometimes we have this idea of, uh, maybe I would call it a a generational kind of ego, right, that assaults the faith. I'm thinking back to a couple decades back uh, when sort of the, the worship wars were, were more prominent. And it was almost like, you know, one group in the church generationally was like, um, we've just discovered what it means to actually worship God. You know, for the first time in 2,000 years, God is actually being worshipped now. You know? And then on the other side of that whole thing was, if it's not a certain kind of hymn written within, between this year and this year, it's not really honoring to God. And then way over there, it's if you're not just singing the Psalms from the Old Testament, then it's not worshiping God. And you're just kind of like, come on. You know, obviously, the New Testament would tell us that there are principles that we would have for good music before God. But get this, the musical style isn't the point. It's the content. It's what are you singing? Are you admonishing and encouraging one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs? Making melody in your heart to God. Um, but there's other things we've got to stand firm against these days. I mean, progressive Christianity would be one thing. Uh, there's plenty of false teachers that are out there right now espousing all kinds of things. You know, they would say, they'll say things like, well, Jesus, Jesus is Lord. I would say Jesus is Lord, and I'm going to follow Jesus. But you know what? Jesus had to repent of his sins, too. And you're like, time out. What Bible are you reading? The other side of that is there's a, there's a fresh batch of legalism. It's always on the horizon. Uh, there's a, a group right now, you know, challenging various pastors. Come debate us. We'll give you fifty thousand dollars if you'll come debate us. And and essentially they're just legalists. They're they're saying, um, you know, you're saved by works. You are and um, and they're really good at taking things out of context. So the point would be. We need to stand firm in the faith. And these things I've just listed, they're going to shift. Seven years from now, it'll be another five things. And seven years after that, it'll be another five things. It's never going to be static. We do not, uh, we don't ever want to fall prey to that false concept that somehow we're just standing on neutral ground somewhere. There is no neutral ground. We're in a battlefield. Do we see it? 
And are we alert? That's the question. Alertness, you know, there's different ways that that term can be seen or used. I was talking with a friend this week and he shared how a lot of times that, that term is, comes from sort of a, a nautical group of terms, right? So when you're sailing a, a vessel through the ocean, you've got to be on the alert. Um, back, back in the, you know, centuries ago when they would be crossing, let's say, the Atlantic, there would be someone who would be up in what they would call the crow's nest. And what are they doing? They're looking out for dangers, for things you're going to run into. You know, it could be icebergs, could be other crafts. All the while, while you're navigating all that, you've got to maintain course, too. And you've got opposition to that. There's wind blowing you around. There are currents that are pulling you this way and that way. And, and so, you know, there are various ways when you were on watch during one of those treacherous voyages that you would be tempted to be distracted. Why? Well, if you're up there, it's cold. Like, your comfort is gone. You're cold. There's freezing wind. There's darkness. Or if it's calm and you're out there, you might be out there on a clear night and you look up and all you see are stars. So you're fighting distraction not only from the bitterness of the battle itself, but sometimes you're fighting distraction from, oh, look at that, you know? Next thing you know it, something happens. So we're called to be alert and stand firm in the faith. That only happens when you're actually living out love. Why? Because you love Jesus and you love others. When you try to stand firm in the faith without love, you know what you become? Kind of this data-filled, know-it-all, frankly, sometimes jerk. That happens. If it's without love, you kind of become the person that's out there trying to smack everybody around with the Bible, you know, instead of actually speaking the truth in love. Secondly, act like men, be strong. That really was the idea of a warrior. So this, again, has the connotation of there's a battle of some kind, and you've got to fight the battle. And so you need to have strength. There's a lot of language here that we would also find in Ephesians chapter 6. I would invite you to go ahead and flip to that. Ephesians 6. A lot of similarities. I've already mentioned in the past how frequently the book of Ephesians and the book of 1 Corinthians overlap. There's tons of different ways in which they are connected. Certainly Paul is in Ephesus as he's writing to Corinth right now. But Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 10, look at what it says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Notice, you are to stand firm in the faith. And that verb, back in 1 Corinthians, and so that, that verb, stand firm, becomes the main verb throughout this section of Ephesians 6 when he's talking about spiritual warfare. The main thing we're to do in spiritual warfare is stand firm. And then notice what he says, verse 12, for our struggle, back in Ephesians 6, verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Essentially, that is a hierarchy of the spiritual realm under uh, the, the authority or control of, of the devil or Satan. And so there's a spiritual hierarchy you know, the devil, um, he's not God. Thankfully, he's not omnipresent. He's only in one place at one time. By the way, that's a really good thing, okay? Um, he also has his kind of ambassadors and underlings who represent him very well. And so, in verse 12, we see that's what our struggle is against. And then he, then verse 13, Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so you'll be able to resist the evil day, having done everything to what? Stand firm. But just to make sure it's really clear, how does verse 14 open? Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet in preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So all of these things in order to stand firm, stand firm, stand firm. Um, the shield is a fascinating thing. I know a lot of times... 
uh, we see the shield of Ephesians 6 as this thing that you put on your arm, but that's not really the, the kind of shield this is. In those days, if you were a part of a, a phalanx and you were making your uh, kind of way along a battle line, you would have these shields, and they're really the size of like a door. And the idea would be you take your shield and you put it here, and then each of your other fellow soldiers is lining up with you. And it becomes a wall. And that's how you're advancing. You're crouched beneath this thing. And what does it do? It quenches all the flaming darts of the enemy. That's the picture here. Together. As, as God's people. As his body. Laboring with one another. So standing firm in the spiritual battle. And yet Ephesians is also the very place where we find we're to speak the truth in love. So there's love there is from God love towards God love that results in love towards one another. And that's how we fight this battle. So question, do you see that we're in a battle right now? Is it clear to you? And are you committed to be alert and stand firm? Are you committed to have the courage to fight in love? That's our calling and that's a sign of genuine gospel growth. But there's a third one. It's not just peaceful responses to criticism and bold love, but thirdly, it's also mutual regard and refreshing. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, if we pick it up in, in uh, verses 15 through 18, we find Stephanus is mentioned again. And you might remember earlier on in the epistle, Paul said, because, again, they were getting caught up in who was baptized by who. That's how you knew you were really spiritual. You know, it'd be like here. Like, like did Pastor Chris baptize you? Oh, or, or did Pastor Andrew? Oh, Pastor Andrew baptized you? Whoa. Dude, you are, like, especially dunked if, if Pastor Andrew did it, right? Because then you're really spiritual. And so Paul was going, look, I... I don't think, I, he says, I'm grateful I didn't baptize any of you. And then he goes, well, wait a minute, hold on. I think I did baptize Stephanus. But other than that, I don't think I baptized anybody else because I didn't come to baptize. I came to preach the gospel. And so he's already mentioned him. And we find that he has a delegation with him, Fortunus and others. And, and he's, he's saying, look, these people, are those who serve you. So don't look down on them. Very likely. So we had the elitists that we talked about many weeks ago throughout, you know, kind of this church. They're kind of saying, hey, if you're really spiritual, then this, then that, and the other. The elitists are there. And it seems like Stephanus and his folks are like, what are you talking about? And what did he do? He served. Um, notice verse 15 at the end. They've devoted themselves for the ministry to the saints. They're serving you. They're caring for you. Why are you looking down on them? And so rather than get arrogant and look down on them, notice verse 16, be in subjection to them. But isn't that interesting? There's mutual regard. He's saying they're serving you. They're submitting to you. So in light of that, why don't you serve them, submit to them? Rather than sort of this, again, arrogance over, over whatever it is that you're trying to bank your, your spiritual pride on. Uh, and you can see how different this is from everything else they've been doing throughout the letter. Because they're not serving one another. What are they doing? They're proud in their wisdom. Uh, they're, they're proud in their ability to have, um, you know, again, sort of a, a, a sexual behavior that is not contained, right? There, there's incest happening in the church. They're proud in the fact that they can sue each other. They're going to court, believer with believer, because they are going to get what they are due. They, they love displaying themselves and their giftedness and arrogance. And so Paul's confronting that and saying, no, this is not, there's a, to be a, if you're really genuine and you're really growing, there's going to be a mutual regard for one another. There's going to be a refreshment that happens amongst one another. And, and, and especially, there's this sense in which, um, verse 18, for they've refreshed my spirit and yours. He's saying, you know, they've done that by serving. They've done that by serving. And I, I just want to say, 
I am so grateful for our church family and how often I personally am refreshed by the way you serve. Um, I probably get to see it more than most. And yes, uh, Friday night was an example of it, but it happens all over the place. There are people in this church that see a need for somebody else and they just go meet it because they see a need and they want to care for someone. Uh, there, are, there are late night phone calls of people who are, who are troubled and weary. There are people who have lost loved ones and, and people from this church show up at their house and say, how can I help you? Uh, there are times when there's trial and, and a note or a card shows up. Uh, there's different times of, of having a need at the house Something has to get done. People show up to help. It happens a lot. And I want you to know, I'm encouraged by that. And we should encourage one another in that way as well. And look for opportunities to serve in this way. Because certainly that's a genuine sign of gospel growth as we continue to live this out amongst one another. Uh, Well, the final way that we would see um, gospel growth showing is not only that we walk with peaceful responses to correction and bold love and mutual regard and refreshing, but lastly also that we walk with warm greetings among God's people. And I know for some of you, you're going, oh no, he's going to tell us we have to kiss each other now because of verse 20. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. But that was a sign in that culture of a warm greeting. And you realize that every week we, well, not every week, Often, many weeks, we have a greeting time. Again, this is not just something that we do because it's in the service order and oh, we're supposed to stand up now and talk to someone. No, this is a part of what it means to be growing and showing gospel grace. We greet one another. And I want to encourage you, I think you do it well, but let's, let's excel still more. Um, you know, sometimes we forget to see that there are people here perhaps that are new, people here that, that don't know anybody, and are we on the lookout for them? Or we're like, hey, I want to talk to someone today I've never talked to before. I want to go shake someone's hand. And by the way, I think the handshake would be the equivalent to the, the you know, the kiss. So, um, but, but I want to do that. Maybe even make that a point of, of praying before we come and go, Lord, how can I today, as we gather as your people, where should I sit? You know, it's because again, may this never be the church where a new person's there and then someone shows up, oh, you're in my seat. Like, Really? I don't, even, I don't know how to deal with that. I don't know what that means. So I'm like, huh? Uh, so so, so let, let it not be that. But instead, maybe it's, Lord, I'm going to sit somewhere. I need, to, I need to find a space to sit where I can be a blessing to the people around me. Because I want to greet well. Because it's biblical. It's important. I, uh, I've shared this with some of you before, but it still stands out in my mind. I, I was, uh, so I, I did not come uh, to believe and, uh, in, in, you know, and come to faith until I was in my first year of college. So I didn't really grow up in a, a gospel setting at all. And when I first came uh, to Christ, I was really grateful, um, more grateful now than I even was before. There was, a, there was a guy who met with me just to kind of take me through the Bible and talk about things. And he was... Um, he was uh, the college pastor at the church that I was at in Burbank, Emmanuel Church. And uh, his name's Ramon. So he, he tried to get me to show up to a fellowship group for probably six months. And I'm like, why? No thanks. I'm, I'm good. I mean, who needs that, you know? And I think in my brain, I was just thinking, um, you know, Look, I don't need more people in my life. People are messy. Relationships can be weird. It's me and Jesus. We're good. We're in lockstep. That's good enough for me, you know? And so I avoided it for, like I said, probably about six months. And then eventually, eventually, um, I don't know even how he prevailed on me to go. <laughs> I'm not sure what he did. Uh, but somehow I showed up at this place. And it even felt weird walking in the door. It did. I'm like, who are these people? What am I supposed to do? Are they really this nice? Are they faking it? You know, what, what is this about? And so uh, we sat in the backyard and someone was doing, taking us through a portion of scripture and there was discussion about it and I was interested in that. I'm like, oh, whoa, we can, t- okay, yeah, I get that, we can talk. 
I can learn more that way. So I'm okay. That's that's good. And then and then there was just so you could just see like wait these people really care about each other. That was weird. That was strange. Genuine care for one another. But then. I was about to leave. And you know when you're leaving something new like that, you're going, am I going to come back? And I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) Maybe, maybe not. And this guy, Kevin, walked up to me. Um, Kevin is, uh, he's from Hawaii, so he's got that Hawaiian smile, warmth thing going for him. You know, like, hey. He's got like aloha written on his face practically. And it's like, oh, yeah. I can hear the waves. I can smell, you know, it's it's nice. Anyway, Kevin walks up to me. He just, literally just met the guy. He shakes my hand, he smiles, he looks at me, and just says, join us. And I'm telling you, that nanosecond, I knew I'm coming back next week. It was a greeting. But it was a heartfelt greeting that showed love. And uh, it made all the difference. And I would say in my walk, those early years... And times with Kevin that I would spend at other times were some of the most helpful, formidable, uh, for, yeah, forming times, yeah, that I, I had. And, and I look back on that now, and it all came about because of a simple greeting. So don't underestimate that, brothers and sisters. This, this time that we share, we greet one another, don't, it's not a formality. It's not a, oh, yeah, we got to do that again. No, it's, this is a chance to show gospel love for one another. And uh, we want to make sure that we, we grow in that because we want to demonstrate the gospel. Um, genuine gospel growth. It shows as we walk with peaceful responses to correction, bold love, mutual regard and refreshing, and warm greetings among God's people. Are you committed to genuine gospel growth? If so, let's all grow in these things and let's pursue them. Not because we've got something to prove, not because we've got to check off some boxes, but because we love. Because he first loved us. Let's pray. Lord, we look to you and even as we come to the conclusion of this amazing book, we pray, Lord, that we would live out a genuine walk with you. Protect us from getting caught up in false criteria for true spirituality. And instead, may the genuineness of our walk with you show in the way we live each day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.